you don't read the newspaper, you're uninformed. If you do read it, you're misinformed. What is the long-term effect of too much information? Information, information, I just need some information. I've been dying, I've been dying, is it lack of education? I've been reading, I've been reading without any transformation. I'm addicted, I'm addicted, is it overstimulation? Hey. Welcome to the Success Report. The Success Report. Hear ye, hear ye, come one, come all. You are listening to The Sixth Sense Report with Joel Nikoloff and Darnell Samuels. Man, this is a heavy one, bro. <laughs> yes, yes, uh, yes, this is, um, this one's gonna be a doozy. Uh, we got a special guest with us today. Uh, we got our good friend Danfi uh, from the Immaterial Treasures podcast. Welcome, Danfi. Thank you. Thank you for letting me on on this one, on a heavy one. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, would you tell our audience a little bit about um, yourself and, and and your podcast? So, yeah, I run a podcast called Immaterial Treasures. It's not massive or anything, but I like to um, pretty much deal with interesting stories about faith or about sto- just anybody's life and... I don't know, anything that has to do with culture, anything that has to do with ideas, anything that has to do with um, personal stories and, and whatnot. Um, so that's, and this was one story that popped up and I, I actually called um, Darnell and asked him if he was doing a show on it because I wanted to listen on what they had to say. And then, uh, <laughs> and then I was brought on on a heavy one. So yeah, I'm just, I'm just, I'm just grateful that they chose me to th- throw me in on this one, on a very heavy one, but sure. Yeah, yeah, no, it's great. Yeah, no, it's cool. Um, for the audience, um, I, I've been on Dem, I've been on Danfi's show with uh, Sam Say, uh, and we did the um, Black Tuesday, Black Tuesday Reflections. I think it was called. Uh, so I was on Danfi's show. That was a that was a fun episode. So yeah, yeah. Um, I've, so- I've yet to have Joel on yet, so we'll, we'll, we'll work that out. We'll yeah, no, <laughs> sounds good. Sounds good. But uh, yeah, you come on here for trial by fire, so we'll see how we'll see how it goes, right? <laughs> yeah, so no, no, I, I thought I thought it was appropriate um, to to bring Dan Fion and um, and get his two cents because because uh, like for the audience, um, he brought it to my attention. Not not the the it the the topic, not the issue, but he asked like, "Oh, you and are you and Joel gonna uh, touch on it?" And uh, we didn't talk about him when he died. And we just didn't, you know, we don't want to be a gossip column type thing, uh, like a shade room or something. So, so Joel and I didn't want to touch it. And then um, people started sending me questions and they started, and then somebody sent me the the actual report and and I was kind of reluctant to look at it. I read through it and it definitely hit the talking points of what the Sixth Sense report is about. So there was Canadian connections, there was a theological connection and in a sense, there was an economic connection in regards to what kind of uh, climate created this this situation mm-hmm. and um, incentives. As yeah, I the, like the incentives. Yes, yes, the incentives of economics in, in that. So I was like, okay, um, I think, and I just touched back with Danfi, and I was like, okay, um, maybe we can give this one a shot. So um, for the audience, the direction we're going in is we're going to talk about um, our Canadian connection to Ravi, and then we're going to talk about uh, things that we took that stuck out to us about the report and then talk about um canadian cancel cult i mean sorry christian cancel culture um if that's a thing and so forth but okay so for those of you who don't know and who are not plugged in because you guys are minding your business wash washing dishes taking care of business um 
apologist, world famous, and I can, and I'm not, that's not an exaggeration. He's internationally known, world famous rap, um, apologist, Ravi Zacharias. Um, basically, there was a report done and Christianity Today released the report and investigation on uh, his sexual misconduct um, at massage parlors with numerous women and mishandling of ministry money. And that report came out and uh, that was February 11th. And since then, uh, everybody's been kind of talking. There was just a bunch of talking points uh, from the situation. For those of you who do not know what an apologist is, because we're like, what, what apologist? Um, an apologist is, uh, the word means to give a defense. And it's basically somebody who goes around defending the faith. So you can have like Muslim apologists or Mormon apologists. Uh, and so Ravi's um, a Christian apologist. So without further ado, let me ask you guys, um, has, has Ravi had an impact on either of you in the way you guys see things? Yeah, I think, um, I think for me, Ravi stood out to me because when I first became a Christian, um, I think I was 19 years old when I became a Christian. I grew up in a Christian home, but I grew up in the context, like a Pentecostal context in which um, you don't really get reasonable arguments for your faith in those kind of circles. It's more emotional based and um, and just kind of like piffy Bible verses that you memorize and, and stuff like that. So when I became a Christian, part of the part of the thing that I really wanted to know, I wanted to give a defense for why I believed what I believed. I just didn't want it to be mindless. And I, I was, I think the reason why I had that desire is because I, I, I evangelized a lot. I lived in Los Angeles for a bit. So, um, when I was there, I would evangelize a lot to just a bunch of randoms on the street. Like it was part of a program I was in. Um, and I would always have homeless guys just tripping me up with these random things they would say in the Bible. So I had to have like, I was, it was so random. I, I had to have like a, a good argument for why I believed what I believed. So I would get into, um, I started watching videos and just trying to, on the, at that point, it was just the internet, right? YouTube wasn't as like widely known then. Um, so there's different, like really academic apologists, like William Lane Craig, Alvin Plantinga. Oh, all William Lane Craig. Oh, <laughs> yeah. All, all these, all these like huge apologists and, and, and Ravi, he is part of the academic realm, but he's more of anecdotal, like, you know, more easy to listen to if, if you didn't go to university and you heard him, even though he was still talking quite high and mighty, you could still understand what he was getting at. But with all the other guys, they were more technical because they were philosophers, right? Um, mm -hmm. So I would, I would listen to Ravi for those approaches, those kind of like arguments that he had for on university campuses when he went. Um, so I would watch, I've watched a lot of Ravi videos. I've, even like stop the video to kind of like write down quotes. He always quotes the most profound authors and poets and all these things. And he fits into his argument. So it's, it's easy to listen to. Um, mm -hmm. And I think part of also like the attraction towards him, it was like in some of these circles, like these circles of apolo apologetics, like it's not to be mean, Joel, but it's like white males. <laughs> so like, so, so seeing like, so seeing a brown face, was like, whoa, you know, refreshing. this is cool. You know, it was like, this is refreshing. I mean, I mean, you could probably put Vody Balcom in like an apologetic like realm, but he doesn't really operate there. He's more pastoral. Um, um, but yeah, it was, so it was, I was drawn to him in that way. Right. And uh, yeah. And that's the, that's the impact he had on me to be, to be honest. Yeah. I mean, for, for me, um, I would say I definitely went down the apologetics route. 
Um, but I never got, ex- I don't want to say I didn't get exposure. Um, but I think, you know, I'm a little bit more on the, like, I want to say hardcore analytical side in that, like, um, I, I, I wanted to go down the, you know, apologetics of like, can I trust the Bible as an authentic document? Right. And so I, I, I was drawn to like guys like Lee Strobel, um, when it came to debating, I was really drawn to guys like James White. Um, I would say so much like you, Danfi. I you know grew up in a, a Pentecostal family. Um, didn't get saved really. I wouldn't say till I was like 23, 22. Um, and I just had a hunger to to solidify my faith. And and I was drawn to the apologetic. Um, and I almost can't even say why I never got exposed to him. Um, I, I wouldn't attribute it to his race um, as, as the rationale. Um, but, you know, I think, for example, like Lee Strobel has case for a creator, case for Christ, case for the real Jesus that really dug into sort of like textual stuff that I was just, you know, nerding out on. Um, I mean, I, one of the books I've read, uh, I'm trying to find it on my bookshelf as I'm talking, but that was like really digging into like old um artifacts of the Bible. And, and just like, I was nerding out on this, like historic historicity of the document of the, the support we had. Um, and I think that's a little bit outside of his realm. Like you, you know, you, you made the comment about sort of his elegant manner of speaking. Um, and, and what's really sort of crazy on that note is, um, there, uh, Ray Comfort had a video that he posted about is titled where we went wrong with Ravi. Of course, I'll have it in the show notes page. Um, and he really, he made this quote that he, he or sorry, he quoted himself. So Ray Comfort, he said, I always said this about Ravi and I didn't, and, and it almost is, you know, telling as to why it's true now. He said, you know, he speaks so elegantly and profoundly that sometimes I would be like, that was amazing, but I have no idea what he said. Um, and he was saying it from a sense of humility, like, he's such a good speaker that like, you know, I could never do that kind of. And so it wasn't sort of, I didn't understand him in a derogatory sense, but just like, but you know, with these revelations, there's a question or an aspect that says like, was his smooth talkingness an aspect of persona because of, to some extent, the double life. Um, so yeah, with, with regards to me, like, you know, Darnell mentioned about, you know, when he died, we didn't we didn't do an episode, but Darnell reached out to me because as you, as I'm sure Darnell will explain a bit, there's there's quite a bit of connection for Darnell. He's like, how much do you have, you know? What's your connection with Ravi? I'm like, mm, not really. I have one book by him. I think it's called End of Reason. It's a pretty tiny book. You know, I read it once, and I, I you know, off the top of my head, I would say like I don't really have anything that I could be like point to and be like, oh, I remember this argument or anything. But yeah, so for me, I didn't really have a connection, which is you know, looking at what just unfolded now, you know, part of me wonders, would it have been better if we recorded an episode and now we're doing a second one or the fact that, you know, we don't have to take any words back maybe from the first one, um, is, is probably a good thing. So Darnell, uh, why don't, why don't you give, uh, your connection? Cause I'm guessing it's probably going to be the, the, you know, similar to, to Danfee, if not more. Yeah. Um, so I got, I got, I became a Christian around 23 I don't come from a Christian home. And so my life was living in plurality and relativism. 
So the way I was raised is that that morality is relative. Stealing is okay um, if it's done for a good reason. Um, I was taught lying is okay as long as it was done for a good reason. Um, and then I got saved. <laughs> and then and then um, and then you know the stigma that's attached to Christ Christians is that um, they're not thoughtful and they don't have answers and. I'm the kind of person, anybody that knows me, I take everything to the extreme. So if you tell me this guy named Jesus died, rose from the grave, you have to prove that to me. If there's really a God out there that's going to judge me, you have to prove it to me. So I really start pushing the envelope. And um, I stumbled across Ravi Zacharias through my pastor. Um, he is, um, and he, he, he brought him up to me. And I started listening to Ravi's podcasts um, at the time. And there was a turning point that, and I would go as far as to say, I wouldn't be the man I am today without the work of Ravi Zacharias. In that, um, there were there were like two key lessons that changed my life forever. I'll never be the same. And I still remember where I was when it happened. I was on the bus coming home from work and I was at the intersection. I still remember the intersection. I was getting off the bus at um, here, Ontario and Eglinton. And, um, and then he was talking about absolute truth. And as much, and he was just basically saying, as much as you want to, you know, relativize, this is true, this is not true, you're not even sure what's reality. Um, he says, when you're standing in front of a bus in the middle of the street, um, you have to either um, accept that reality. If, if you're saying that that's the, that bus that's coming at you is not real, if you stand there, you're going to die. So the idea of absolute truth is a matter of life, life and death. And that totally just clicked, turned, started turning wheels in my mind where, you know, not to sound figurative, but it was a paradigm shift for me. And I was like, wow, so if there's a such thing as absolute truth, then we can know things and so forth. So I was on that trajectory towards doing apologetics. I have the apologetic study Bible by um, uh, William Lane Craig. Uh, <laughs> and then um, what, I, what ended up happening was I wanted to follow in Ravi's footsteps, um, you know, traveling the world and debating people. I love debating people. And I ended up at Tyndale because that's where Ravi went. And th that's where I ended up meeting da Danfi um, and his lovely wife as well. Um, and so I guess that's the Canadian connection there. Um, but I would also add just quickly, another key thing that I learned from Ravi that I'll never forget is um, he talked about um, reason. And he talked about laws of logic. So anytime when I have a discussion, I'm gonna, I'm gonna give you guys a cheat sheet on how, what's going on through my brain when I have discussions with people. So there's three laws of logic to how we speak. So there's the law of excluded middle. So there's no such thing as middle round answer. Uh, there's no such thing as a gray area. There's only black and white. And then the other one is the law of identity. Um, and the law of identity says everything has an identity. And then um, the law of non-contradiction, two contradictory statements can't be true. And so those are the frameworks I use for reasoning through things. But yeah, um, you know, God used him to, to minister to me. And um, it's very sad um, what has um, transpired. Uh, for you guys, um, you got the chance to uh, look through the report. Was there anything that stuck out to you about the report? Uh, for for me, actually, there was a, a footnote that actually reminded uh, me, I think, of our of our last episode, um, where you talked about 
you know, the idea of going to the original sources. And so there's a section where um, it's titled Amorous Communications and Relationships. And, you know, the it said the paragraphs that follow, this is in the footnote, uh, paragraphs that follow contain exact quotes of messages found on Mr. Zachariah's phone. All typographical errors are in the original messages. We decided to include his words because a common theme from our interviews of RZIM staff was that Mr. Zacharias was naive and oblivious to how his behavior or words might be perceived. Several staff knew about his personal masseuse, his involvement with uh, uh, Jivian Wellness, his apartment in Bangkok, and frequent solo travel there. Uh, Oh, and other uh, curious behavior, but they all attributed all of this to Mr. Zacharias' supposed naive innocence. Um, and so the, the reason I thought that was interesting was because, you know, his texts were, were essentially quoted word for word. And, and Darnell, on that last episode, you sort of talked about going to the primary sources as opposed to secondhand information. Um, and that's sort of what the last sentence here says. Um, if we reported merely summarized or characterized Mr. Zacharias's electronic communications with other women... They could be viewed through the same lens, i.e. characterized or summarized. Instead, we chose to let his words speak for themselves. So it it sort of um, stands out to me in two ways. One, like you're reading, like reading this, you're just like turning, you know, it's, it's, it's disturbing to read all this, especially about a man you, you know, so many people view in high regard or did, um, so, yeah, I, I mean, to me, that was one thing that really, really stood out in terms of, like, the nature of the report. Um, I mean, I have a few other things, but I'll let you guys jump in first. Yeah, I think for me, um, it's interesting because it's funny. I, I listened to a podcast by Joe Rogan, and uh, I think it's Matthew McConaughey. And Matthew McConaughey said something that has stuck with me because I think I agree with him massively. He said... Um, there's one word that's not in his vocabulary and that word is unbelievable. And he says, because every, he's like with in the realm of humanity with human beings, nothing is unbelievable. So I'm not shocked by human flaws and errors and blunders. Um, and that's make basically because I've had a real bout with sin myself, right? Like major wipes wipeouts and, and whatnot. But the investigation, when it came to Ravi, this is interesting. This goes back probably like maybe a few years back because there was a case in which um, it was it was a lady from Canada named Laurieann Thompson. Yep. And she accused uh, Ravi of some things. Uh, and there was a whole report written out and all these things. And at that point, I was like, man, like, is this lady telling the truth? You know, I didn't I didn't believe her. I didn't believe her. Like, and I didn't. It's not that I didn't believe her because I didn't think he was incapable of doing that. I just thought, well, this sounds a little fishy. And there wasn't much that was released. And part of that was because she had to sign a NDR, right? NDA, um, yeah. NDA, NDA, sorry. And um, much couldn't be said. But when Ravi, I think it was last year when Ravi was dying or was he, he was like on his way to, I think he was like a few months before he died. I was on Twitter and some girl retweeted like the whole case again. And in this tweet, this girl was going in really hard on like Ravi and like, how are these people like, you know, um, praising this man? He was a fraud and all this stuff. And I was like, whoa, I was like, this, this girl's like, 
I was like, I, I need to look into this a bit more because like this is this man's dying. You and you're saying these things about him. You don't know if it's true or not. So I was like, like, let me look into this a little bit more. So I just kind of held it in the back of my head, but I still wasn't convinced because it's like it's like the room, the one room in your house where you put all your clutter so mm -hmm. that your house looks clean. You're like, I don't want to deal with that yet because I know if I open that door, I'm going to have to deal with it. So I was like, I put it away. And then the first investigation came out and then I was like, hmm, I think there's something to this. And then the latest one that came out, as I read the article, I read it to the end. What, the Christianity Today? Yeah, the latest one came out and it was like, uh, when I read it to the end, I saw a name that was like, I recognized, Daniel Gilman. And Daniel Gilman is the son of my mentor. I call him my mentor. His name's Alan Gilman. I've had Alan a couple of times on my podcast. So I was like, wait a minute, this is interesting. So Daniel Gilman in the article apparently was released by RZIM because he went on record saying that he believed the victims. And I know that Daniel wouldn't say this unless he believed it because pre prior to like Ravi's death, Daniel was, he wrote out a very nice letter and commended Ravi on who he was and his leadership and all that. So the fact that he went back and said this, I was like, hmm, this is, have, and I mean, it's at the end too, you find out that Daniel Gimmon was involved in this and Daniel Gimmon has lost his job. So um, it's really sad too um, with regards to all this. So that's when I started like, I was like, wow, this is actually true. Um, and I, I don't think it, the, tr the, tr the truthfulness of it hit me at that moment. I think I always kind of believed it, but it hit me then. I was like, yeah, they wouldn't say this definitively if there wasn't something to it. So that was where I, that's, that was my first um, feelings and interactions with it. Mm -hmm. Yeah, no, um, I avoided, I, I just straight up avoided it. <laughs> I was not, I didn't want to touch it. You know, I was in the, I was still in that say it ain't so mode. Yo, Darnell, um, yeah. I did, I, when we were planning for this episode for a bit, I literally didn't read anything until last night. Because <laughs> I, I didn't want to touch this. Like for, you know, I, I heard about the news and I was like, oh man, like I don't even want to know. Right. Like it's just disgrace. You know, it's disgraceful. It's, it's sad. It's sickening. I'm just like, I don't want to know. I don't want to know, you know, like I, that's why I messaged you on, like, I think I messaged you on Sunday. I'm like, okay, when are we going to record? Okay. Tuesday. All right. I got another day. I don't have to do this yet. Like, mm -hmm. <laughs> mm -hmm. you know, yes, it's just, the details. It's, yeah. Oh. The details. Um, you know, after I went through it, um, the, the, the thing that popped into my mind was, um, back in the day, CLS Bible studies we used to do and, uh, me and Primus and Rafer, um, we, we used to have this inside joke about pastors who, um, you know, pastors who don't, um, who basically are manipulating the people. We used to use this term called pulpit pimping. And then we used to go, right? So we used to say, oh man, look at this guy, man. This guy's out here pulpit pimping. And, <laughs> right? So it's a term we use, right? Like, those guys. I, after I read that, I was like, oh my gosh, like, if I have to come up with a definition for pulpit pimping, it's this guy. Like what I mean by that is like, for example, you know, he had four cell phones. Okay. Not, no, no, no. He had two at the same time. Always. Four, he had, they, they investigated four, but that was like from different time periods. Okay. So it's. But he had two at the same time. Mm -hmm. So right, he okay, had so, two at the same time. Yeah. So, okay. Yeah. So he had a burner phone. Right. Exactly. So you know, so in my mind, I'm like, yo, the only bad them that use a burner phone, you know, is a hustler. 
right? It's just one of those things. And and, and it's, um, he, it's not just that, dude. He had like separate different email address. Like his email yes. was outside of the server. Like it was just, there were so many yes. flags that like, you know, again, that's why I read that quote too, because it talked about his like innocence and like this jovial sort of character that everybody sort of like passed off his errors as like naivete, right? Mm-hmm. And And so he had this, to me, it's just like the depth of his double life is is what's revealed with like two phones. His email is like he wanted it separate. He has his own website. He has all these things that like just one of them, man, eh, whatever, no big deal. But just like to me, I'm dumbfounded that it it never got it uncovered earlier. Well, I think it's important to note too that the people at RZIMs are also victims of Ravi. Oh uh, yeah, I agree. You know, I, and and I think. Honestly, and I don't say that like as someone who would like would be above that kind of deception because I honestly I'm convinced if I worked for Ravi, I would have never questioned him. And mm-hmm. the reason why I say that is because I was enamored with him. And and, and I'm sure like, most people there were. And and it's almost like a father figure like you don't snoop on your father. If your father tells you something something, you're not going to be like, "Oh no, it's not." You know, you're just going to believe him. You know, um, and I think, yeah, I think because I, I, but it's funny you say these things, Joel, because one of the reports said that with the Lori Ann Thompson situation, when it first came up, apparently they asked him, well, he made a statement. He said, if you were to look through my phone records and anything, anything like that, I would mm-hmm. be exonerated. I'm yep. innocent. So then I think somebody, a staff at the, at RZIM asked for them. And apparently Ravi's response should have been a red flag. He was mm-hmm. like really angry and aggressive. Yeah, like, that's that what the report were, said. That that's what the report said. Him. Well, yeah, and, right? and his answer was like, my lawyers already looked at it and said everything's good. Exactly. <laughs> yeah, and I think one of the other things that stuck out was um, he had two apartments um, in Bangkok. In right? the same so building. In con- yeah, in the same building. So he had, he had two separate... Um, he had two separate apartments in the, um, in the same building in Bangkok. Um, and so, you know, even that, even that, you know, you're just, you know, you're like, okay, so this is not gossip. Whoever's listening, this is not gossip. This isn't them trying to, you know, attack the man, you know, while he's dead. But like there's, there's, um, there's a text trail. There's a money trail. There's a picture trail and it all ties back to the testimony of these women um, who don't even know each other. And all these things are are tying up. So, you know, um, yeah, he's just he's just in a sense, he's he's yeah, sir, uh, we, caught we, red handed. We cut you off with the, you know, you're talking about double phones. So I just want to make sure you, you, you sort of got Yeah, it. yeah, no, no. It, it, it was just as the proof was mounting up because, you know, you're kind of like, OK, well. Let's see what the proof is. And so just looking at the report and looking at the paper trail, um, the text trail, the picture trail, the, the forensic data guys. And I had to ask Tyra, I was like, yo, Tyra, is, is, that, is that really a thing? She's like, yeah. She's like, yeah, if they get a hold of your phone or your laptop, yo, they can they can trace a whole bunch of stuff. And so, you know, um, it, was, it was it was pretty sad. And the fact that, yes, like Danfi said, um, that's and also what stuck out to me was that he did not when when they did confront him, poor city got angry. Right. So at that point, you're kind of like, okay, wow, he's he's really on another tip and he's not the guy who we thought he was even even. okay, I'll put it this way. I would say you could you could rationalize his anger, though. It's easy, right? Like, nope, hell no. (laughs) Hell no. 
Hell no. I want to hear because, what, Joel, what do you mean? What do you mean by that, Joel? I want to hear so where you're going with this. So the person in RZIM, right? Like, this guy's gone through a court case. He had the court case settled. And now, now, again, if this is like, I, I don't know who the exact person was. I'd have to, I, I do know what you're talking about with getting angry. But, you know, for, for you as an, you know, employee or, or something that, that, sort of challenges okay let's look at your phone and he gets angry the to me the rationalization would be like okay he's already thought this is resolved and now we're trying to push him more he's just frustrated that he has to relive this <laughs> that's Stop. here's, yeah, that's here's the thing joe here's the thing I'll, let me let me let me touch this let me get him on this one okay <laughs> so, <laughs> my, my point is i'm not saying i agree with it no i know where joe's coming from like and and to be honest joe i totally agree with you like i if i didn't listen to some like some of the YouTube videos I've watched and read some of the things that you know I've read prior to coming on to this podcast, I would actually agree with that. I'd be like, you know, it makes sense. Like if someone's pushing and being like, you know, voyeuristic about what, what's in your phone, like you you'd get upset. But if and this is for the listeners, if you want to know more, there's a really good video by Mike Winger on YouTube about Ravi on this one. And he rate goes It'll the be in the show thing. notes page. Um, and then there's uh Frank Turek talks about it. and there's another one by Mike Wood. He's an apologist. That's also a good one. But one of the things that I, I brought Mike Winger up because one of the things he said is that when Ravi was actually dying from cancer, mm-hmm. he was still, based doing on the reports, he was still in doing this. And not only that, the Lorianne Thompson lady that he got into the case with, mm-hmm. apparently he still had images of her in his phone after the case. Yo, man. And all these other things were still there. And the reason why I say... It, like you get upset. Listen, like I, I, I said earlier, and I'm going to go into this more on my podcast about certain things because I don't want to sit here and pretend <laughs> I'm all high and mighty and I've never listen. There's been times where I've been I've been, you know, I've been playing around on my wife. And when she gets around my phone, she's not even going to touch my phone. I get nervous. She hasn't even said anything about going near my phone. She's just walking by my phone and I get nervous. Because I'm like, whoa, I don't want somebody texting me. And she's, you know, but now, thank God for God's grace, my wife can look at my phone and I don't care. Mm. I really don't care. Mm. No, so, and, and, this- and I agree with you, right? Like if, if you have nothing to hide, the real response, and that's why I said like, to me, the fact that it was right after this court case, as far as I understood, to me, that's where the rationalization can happen. If that court case didn't exist... And and all of a sudden he like someone wants to look at his phone and he gets angry. To me, that's a greater flag. And yeah, and, and that and that's why I disagreed with you. Yeah, so that that's what I was gonna say was that, yeah, like you can't. If you're innocent, there's there's no reason to, to get on so because like, if he's innocent, he's like, all right, cool, yo, just check my stuff. It's, it's you know this is the business of 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 Christianity and 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 ch- and church ministry is transparency so 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 why are you acting this way and so when i saw that um i kind of knew that um yeah this guy's um yeah yeah this guy's in trouble so that's why i was like okay no 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 he's not he's not repentant um even um there, there was a turning point when i was reading it and um in our cls chat joel <laughs> um <laughs> yeah cls has gone digital bro 
<laughs> so <laughs> that's where all the controversial Christian content is. And so I was just like, yo, man. I was like, yo, man, was this guy saved? I was asking the guys, you know, I'm like, yo, let's just go back and forth. It was this guy saved. That then, you know, um, we tr- we here at the Sixth Sense Report, we try not to um we're not we're not we're not we're not here for the industry. We're here for the people. And we gotta ask the questions that the people want to ask and want to talk about. And so when I asked the question about him being saved, you know, wrestling back and forth. And then I didn't read the report. And then I read the report and I said this. This is how we're gonna divide this thing up. The woman said, but you know, the women were, were were repeating quotes and repeating things that Ravi has said, things along the lines of, you know, you're my reward. Um you're my reward. Um, if you tell on me, then people won't be saved. Um, this is what God wants. And so forth. Pulpit pimping to the extreme. Yeah, well, pulpit pimping 101, buying these girls Gucci purses, putting them through school. It is what it is. But my thing was this, and I said this to my wife. It's either these women are lying. It's either this woman is these women are lying. Or they're telling the truth. If they are telling the truth, meaning those words that they're saying is true about what he said, this guy's not saved. Now, for those people who say they don't know, well, then you don't know how to handle um, a proof text because you can't sit here and say, oh, well, well, I don't know. Because it all, because it kind of, you know, just waves off um, the testimony of these women and the proof of this investigation. Now, I'm not saying, you know, who knows, um, you know, people talk about deathbed conversions or so forth or what or whatnot, and that's in the hands of the Lord. But all I'm saying is that um, when we exegete the investigation and, and we put these things in the text um, or we, we put um, the, the report in its context, it's either these women are telling the truth or they're not. And if they're saying these are things that he's he said and that he was doing and that, and actually people like, Dan, you know, Dan was saying there's reports that says like these things were happening up until his death. Um, I'm I, I'm kind of worried. Um, I said to the guys, um, yo, why didn't this guy just, you know, you know, he, he's been running this flex for like about 30 years. Um, well, the question is, at what point did this start? I mean, we don't know the answer to that question. Yeah, yeah well, about well, 30 years. Allegations go back 30 years. But I'm just saying. You're on your deathbed, Danfi. You're on your deathbed, Joel. I'm on my deathbed. You know, you lived a pretty greasy life. You know, you about to pack it in. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like, you about to pack it in. There's a minute left. Yo, isn't there something, like, like isn't Where's your conscious kind of saying, pardon? Where's the fear of God? For, okay, forget the fear. Forget the no, fear of God. My point is, like, you're in your, you know, you're on your deathbed, and you're still doing these things. Yeah, no, no, but no, that's not what I'm saying. I'm saying, like, yo. You have one minute left, dog, and you're on your deathbed and you live the greasy life. Yo, you couldn't just take your phone or even just say to your wife, yo, boo, yo, I got something to tell you still. Um, yeah, so, um, you know, I was running flexes at the at the massage parlor. I was taking the RZIM money and, and treating these girls and da-da-da-da-da. And um, I apologize for those people who followed me. Um I, I apologize, and I'm really, honestly, I'm sorry from the bottom of my heart. Um, I know I'm not going to be alive to stand trial, but I'm just, for my kids, this is, because, you know, it's all it's, it's all going to come down. So just, you might as well just, you know, make peace before you go. And that's what kind of baked my biscuits. So I'm like, yo, just, 
just leave a note and say, yo, my bad. Just my bad. You don't even have to say <laughs> anything else. Just, yo, my bad, bro. Own it. He didn't even do that. Well, and, and that's, that's what kind of got me. That's what I was saying about like, you know, the, the like, where's the fear of God, right? Like you're talking about like sort of own it, but I'm sort of looking at it like you're about to meet your maker and you're still well, running this game. Well, no, well, well, technically he could still like, I don't know, like he could probably still, you know, do a, um, a sinner's prayer, right? Right. Close your eyes, bow your head like they do in Pentecostal church. Nobody looking. Put your hand up, put your hand down. And, you know, that, it could have been one of those. Well, I think, I, I think, I think there's two, like, I, I'm sorry to cut you off. No, Joe. no, no, um, go ahead. Um, I see what you both are saying and like, you both have touched on two aspects that I wanted to talk about with regards to this. Um, cause I did think about that. What, what Darnell's bringing up, like, okay, dude, or Andrew, like you, you, you knew you were about to die. Like, you know, you're going to die. This isn't like iffy. It's a fact. Um, why didn't you say something to somebody? Like, why did, even a letter, something? Uh, yeah, like, so it's like nobody knew. And and the thing, what I I honestly, I was talking to this um, about with, I was talking about this with another friend, and um, one of the things that we need to understand that as much as like we felt deceived by his life, he deceived himself. Mm-hmm. That's what sin does. It's deceptive, and you mm-hmm. harden yourself, right? My brother-in-law, this like a few weeks ago, was telling me about this. I'm probably going to butcher the story, but he was talking, talking about a, <laughs> about two, like just an illustration about two guys, right? Um, one got saved and the other one chose, he's, he said, I'm going to put it off later, right? So he just kept pulling it off. He's like, I'm going to get saved later, later. And then he got into like a work accident where um, there was like a fire and he got like caught on fire. And when he was in the hospital, um, the when people were, around him surrounding him the only thing this guy was worried about was how his face looked he somebody asked he's like, he's like how do i look how do i look and his friend's like dude you're about to die and you're worried about how your face looks mm-hmm. but the greater <laughs> point the greater point is that when you there's no such thing as i'm going to put this off like when like when you have an opportunity to follow the lord there's no such thing as like i'll put it off it's like the esau curse you get hardened you get hardened so that when in your very moment where you need it the most the very thing that you loved more than taking God on or following God becomes more important in that moment. Right. So for that guy in that illustration, his image was more important than him dying and having to face God. And I think in Ravi's situation, and this is the one thing I wanted to put before you guys for him, when he was dying, he's not thinking about, I'm going to face God. He's so hardened that he's like, I have to uphold this image. And I think part of that is that, this isn't to ex- excuse him. I think Ravi comes from a culture that's very similar to mine. It's all about honor and shame. And when you're raised in an honor and shame culture, there's no room to confess. You have to uphold things. You have to uphold the image. You and 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 by that honor and shame thing, I mean like even in my family, I have a cousin that's a doctor. That's a bo- that's a that's a, a, a ground of boasting for my family. My parents are so disappointed with me because I have nothing <laughs> to my name for them to boast about because this uh, is a crazy thing. If uh, I'm a doctor, my whole family succeeds. It's it's like a shared victory. If I bring if I bring shame to my family, everybody loses. So you know what they do? Damage control. Nobody has to know. We don't talk about this. We keep it silent. And I honestly believe Ravi had that kind of like aspect of him there yeah that it's tight-lipped 
I'm well, not going to say anything. I'll, they'll have to deal with it when I'm gone. Yeah, the the shame the shame thing I think is real because like I mean if you you know anything about sort of like you know let's say especially within the Christian church, right? Anyone struggling with any sort of sexual sin, right? Shame is such a huge factor that that causes a lack of conversation about these type of struggles, right? Because whether it's, you know, and I would even say like, you know, when it comes to sexual sin, it, for some, again, there's, I know there's different consequences to different sins, but the idea like all sin is sin, right? Like no, no sin is, there's no, classes of sin, right? Something doesn't have a greater level of disqualification. Yes, there are greater consequences because of, you know, depending on when, where, why, and how that, that, that thing transpires. But, but I think it's, it's, it, I think your point about shame is, is sort of, um, causing, you know, it's causing me to think a bit because I, I didn't really think about, you know, how much shame would have played a role in him not confessing. Um, and if you think about it, like with what you said about honor, right? Like the amount of honor that he has created with regards yes. to this organization and and all these things, right? Like there, there, it's it's gotten to a point where confessing is almost not even an option, right? And 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 so that's where I mean, there's another quote. I think I've probably said it on the show before, um, but the point I make it to a lot of people because they sort of hold Christians in this weird regard at times, and I'm like. Some people seem to forget Christians can be deceived as well. And and I and I say that because I'm not I I don't necessarily think he was deceived that what he was doing was sinful. But say that again? I don't think he was deceived that what he was doing was sinful. Oh, so you think he knew that what he was doing was sinful? Under the premise that if he was still a Christian or was a Christian, I should say, not still. Get my theology I, I, right. I think I think you're right, Joe. I don't think because okay, the reason why I agree with you, Joe, because no man can speak that way about apologetics, about defending this Christian faith, and not know intellectually yep. that what he was doing was wrong. I yeah. think he knew intellectually what he was doing uh, was wrong. No, I, I actually I, I think I, I would slightly disagree because um one, and I and I think this is like a um um a, a statistic. Uh, point based on the on the report uh, for some people who and somebody actually one of my boys <laughs> one of my boys hit me up and they're like yo yo darn I was reading the report and they were showing the dates that some of these things happened and he's like yo I went to go see him around that time I, w- I went to go see him around that time <laughs> right so some of those situations is like okay yeah I went to hear him preach that day and that was the that was the the day um the day before he went to a rub and tug shop Right. So, so you're kind of like, oh yeah. So, so he had a great sermon prepared, these great eloquent words, but before then he had to get rubbed down. Yeah. But the, the thing is like, I, I think Joe Darnell, I'm not saying, I think he knew what he was doing was wrong, but he didn't know it in the sense of like, it's wrong. I need to rip. I need to, I'm grieved by it. I need to repent. He knew it. He, he changed the context of it because in his mind, he rationalized it because he thought I, I, this is a reward. This is a reward for my hard efforts as an apologist. This is a reward for the back pain that I I, I suffer from. <laughs> no, no, seriously. Like, he justified. That's the only way he can survive. You have to recreate the narrative. You have yeah, to... Well, and that's mm-hmm. why I think the word deceived is so relevant. Absolutely. Right, because... He it, deceived himself. Yeah, yeah. And, and that's, you know, it's such a... 
it's such a tough thing to to think through because like I mean like as you put it Darnell right it's like you went from the brothel obviously I'm using exaggeration you went from the brothel to the pulpit mm-hmm. and like and then back to the brothel <laughs> yeah like back to the club you know and and it's like there's an aspect of obviously God can use someone because we're we're all sinners right every mm-hmm. pastor's a sinner so it's not like this sin disqualifies you from from God using you but I would even make the statement that like God can use an unrepentant sinner i.e non-saved person to create glory or even to create salvations for him right like God can use anything as a catalyst for for you know his glory yeah and and i think for the unbelievers listening i think the key thing is not we're not talking about perfection but we're talking about repentance and that's the mark of of the christian in that uh uh uh, john the baptist talks about um bear fruit in keeping with repentance and that um as we get older in the faith we don't repent less we repent more because we're more sensitive to our sins so for people saying oh well you know um you know ravi and some people are making this argument well you know ravi sins i sin we all sin so let's just give the let's just give the man a bligh you know let's just allow the man um but that's not that's not biblical um that our mark our lives aren't marked by perfection but but it's marked by um repentance um and 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 the life of the christian is progressive in its sanctification in that we get better not worse so i i got a i i got a quote um from our cls chat i got permission from chopay because when he said it and this was in in regards to darnell's question i thought it was just it's i think it's perfect with regards to this conversation i think there is room for the conversation about his salvation but not for the reason of defining whether he's saved and that's where this sort of really I think yes. gets to it. So his quote was, uh, I feel like the fruit of Ravi's situation shouldn't be a debate about whether he was saved or not. I personally don't find much unity in this. Some might, I don't. I think the more, more useful fruit should be a reminder that although we can be highly fruitful and productive in ministry and God's work, Ravi was incredibly productive. Sin is ever crouching at our door. To what extent our salvation is real he has in quotations, given our fallen nature and our continual battle with sin until death, only we and God know. Repentance is key, but considering examples in our own lives where there was a time between a time lag between the sin, the repentance, and the confession, it's tricky for outsiders to assess how repentant a person is. That's why I say, truly only God, only you and God know. God knows best. And then the last line, walk humbly before your Lord. And and I think the humility aspect of this sort of stands out to me too, because I, I don't think people would have considered Ravi to be prideful. But at the same time, I think he clearly had a prideful heart. Because how else does this happen? Yeah, and sorry, I just want to plug. Uh, yeah, so Chope, um, Chope was on our um, NSARS episode, which did pretty well, so... We'll put that in the show notes to hear. Um, yeah, Shopee's a you know very smart, articulate, talented brother. But yeah, yeah, sorry. Go ahead, Joel. Yeah, and and I mean, you know, for me, uh, again, I when I, re- I was reading this from him, 
early on in the conversation when I didn't know the details, because again, I was sort of like, I, Darnell posed the question. I was like, I don't care. I don't want to know. Because this was before we knew about the show that we were going to do. Yeah, it. That chat blew up. <laughs> oh, the chat went on fire, man. And I'm like, you know, quickly reading through things. I see show pays. I'm like, you know, 100. I agree. Per, you know, exactly what he okay. said. Okay. Sorry. So. Sorry. Sorry, Joel. Can I give my, can I quickly just give my two cents in <laughs> sure. like that conversation in yeah, yeah. chat? So this is, this is, this is, this is what I'll leave everybody with. Um, just not to be too long, but um, in light of that, I want to believe the best. And I would just simply say, um, we wanted to find these things uh, by scripture. And I would just say, uh, give me a scripture that gives you encouragement that, that Ravi was saved. And I say that because, you know, as I read through the Bible, um, there are passages that aren't that aren't giving me confidence, not just about him, but just um, about um, the nature of a person who is not living um, a fruitful life. And for those who follow me on uh, Twitter and on Facebook, I, I posted this. Um, I, I posted this this statement um, on my Facebook and uh, Twitter. We got some pretty good feedback actually. And I said, about uh, it was about four days ago. I posted it in light of the Ravi's Ravi mess. No word of a lie. This was my morning Devo. Luke chapter 13, verse 23 to 24. And someone said to him, Lord, will those who are saved be few? And he said to them, Strive to enter through the narrow door. For many, I tell you, will seek to enter and will not be able. And I said, This Christianity thing is not a play-play ting. Many people claim they claim they Christian, but few live it. This verse does not boost my confidence in myself or anyone else, but it does prompt me to fix up and not mind my own business. Let's get it. Hashtag, let's get it. I, 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 I like everything that you guys just said. And I think when the first report came out, I felt that way. I mean, I even, I think I, I wrote on one YouTube video, it's like the best of men are, are men at best. Mm -hmm. um, every man has a flaw behind him. Mm -hmm. But in light of the second report, I kind of rechained, I, I thought through that. And, um, and I don't want to sit here and be an arbiter of his salvation to say, yeah, oh, and, he and we're not, and yeah, no, not. And, I, and I want to add that too. But, but, I but do, for the sake of conversation, wanna, we we have to talk about it. Yeah, and I do want to I, I do want to give context. I like what Chopin said, and I think it's true. However, um, when we look at scripture, and this is this is okay. So, this was a great quote that I got from Frank Turek, and and he was talking about the Ravi situation, and he brought up one of Ravi's books, which was called "Can Man Live Without God." But what, what Frank did was he rephrased that question and said, can God live without Ravi? And I think that question is profound because that's what I was going through, um, thinking that thought. And when you read the Bible, one of the reasons why I believe the Bible is true is because it doesn't paint a pretty picture of humanity. You know, and it doesn't even paint, paint a picture, a good picture of the people that are like, the staple images in the Bible, like David, for one. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Like, it doesn't, it doesn't, it's honest. And, and even that in itself gives us evidence that God isn't about protecting people's images. He's, again, God doesn't share his glory with anybody. 
Um, and what was commendable about David was the fact that he was a man who repented. I mean, Psalm 51, I believe, is something that every Christian should memorize because yep. that is the heart of the Christian walk. I is, the, is that is that is that like contrition before yes. the Lord? And the reason why I bring this point up about his whether he was saved or not is because we have we have to have a bigger salvation. I mean, a bigger conversation in the church about what is repentance and confession, because mm -hmm. some people think if I just tell God, me and God, then I've repented. Mm -hmm. But I think repentance, in its definition, mm -hmm. is actually a turning away from what you did, mm -hmm. right? But I think repentance has a confession within it. So if mm -hmm. I've turned away from a certain behavior, I need to confess that to someone whom that would have affected, or even if it didn't affect anybody, I need to confess that. So that thing doesn't have power over me. Mm -hmm. right? And also, and also, sorry, I would also add, yeah, uh, the, uh, the word repentance, the Greek metanoia, it means to have a change of mind so that your mind must be changed on that sin, turn from your I sin and turn to Christ. Absolutely. And that's that's exactly what I didn't see with Ravi. And another thing that I that really troubled me with his salvation, this is what made me so angry because we would be having a different conversation right now if we had a record of him repenting, even if it was a letter, even if it was yes. his wife saying, I knew that yes. I would be here Yo. defending him. Yes, I, would be defending I, I never thought him. about that. That's right. Because all, but, all, all his wife has to do is just come out and say, Yo, you know, he he let me know. We set things straight. Exactly. Exactly. And the greatest thing is also, I think Ravi he's almost like a case study because he's also shown us something about the celebrity Christian culture. Okay. Right? Can, can we, can we trans, sorry, uh, I want to ask you to continue, but can we, can we transition to uh Christian cancel culture, that topic? Yes. And you can okay. take this as, as, as we go right into it. Okay. But one of the things that I, I, I also question is like, what kind of gospel did Ravi have? Because oh. the gospel that I feel that he has, a lot of us actually hold and that gospel is a gospel of triumphantism. triumphantism. Mm -hmm. It's all about victory and no weakness. So for him, integrity was everything, even if he wasn't being integritous. He had to uphold the image because a, a, a weakened Christian or leader who actually confesses and comes off the stage, not to say that he's done because there's, we don't have enough we don't have enough narratives of Christian leaders wiping out, getting off the stage and recovering and going through that recovery stage, not necessarily getting back on a stage, but getting some form of like, I'm back again. You know, we don't have enough like of those Mace? narratives. How about Mace? <laughs> <laughs> I, um, I don't, I, I, I don't think he fell from the stage to begin with. Oh, he walked, actually, you know, he walked away, right? He walked away. But, um, but yeah. do you see what I'm saying? Like, <laughs> yeah. we don't have enough, like, weak, weak, like, who's, who, what Christians wants to raise up a guy who's weak? You know what I mean? Like, yeah. we don't want to be following a guy who's weak and, like, this guy just, you know, like, nobody wants that. But at the same time, isn't it within, Paul even talks about his own weakness within the Gospels. Yeah. But also, I also think this issue, and I think that, um, if I can say this that you know this ravi this ravi situation is a grace to the body if that might sound crazy i think it, i think this whole situation is a grace to the body in that it, a wake up call um and that we need to reevaluate our ecclesiology our um what does the scripture say with the doctrine of the church what is the church um because i, I really believe that this is not necessarily a salvation issue 
even though, you know, we just finished talking about whether he's saved or not, I don't even think it's about his salvation. I think it's about the ecclesi his ecclesiology and the idea of the church. So for example, um, the accountability aspect, uh, RZIM, Ravi Zacharias International Ministries um, is a parachurch ministry. That's not a church. So as far as anybody being able to step to him and correct him, that's not a thing. That's not a thing because those are his boys or not even his boys. Those are his employees. He's the king. He's the boss. And you can't step to your boss because he's he's signing off on your checks. So I understand that. So, um, you know, no love lost against um, the RZIM team. You know, you're, you're, you're just, you know, yes, man. You're not in the position. But, but, but we what church did Ravi go to? Who's his pastor? Who are his elders? Because that's the recourse the Christian has. And that's where the accountability comes in because his pastors could have easily just come to him and been like, okay, hold on, hold on, hold on. You need to sit down. You need to sit down and, and we're going to hold you accountable. Nobody. And that's the thing. He was a free man. He had all this money coming in and he was a free man and he was allowed to run around and, and you know, travel the get world. Reckless. And yeah, and get reckless. But, and, and, and I really believe that this was, um, um, an ecclesiological issue. For example, he's an apologist. The, and, and being an apologist is not is not a is not an office. That's not a church office, right? You have you have pat you have you have your elders, and then you have your deacons, right? But even even people say, oh well, he was an evangelist, so he evangelized. Well, I'd go back to what Danfi was saying. Um, I listened to uh, Ravi for years. I never heard Ravi share the gospel. I, I I never heard him share the gospel in his talks. They were really good talking points, but there was never um, a call to repent. It was never evangelistic. Now that I look back and I'm and now I look back at it, it was never really evangelistic. It was really apologetic. Wasn't... Pardon? It was apologetic. Um. Yeah, but that's not evangelism. I and agree. that's what Ray Comfort and that's yes. what Ray Comfort said the issue was. Because Ray Comfort says, you know, as much as we love apologetics, like it's not it's not missionary it, work. It's not it's, the gospel. It's not the gospel. Yeah, yeah. And I and I had gospel. to and, and as a young Christian, I had to get corrected on that because I was on my apologetics tip. And then, you know, some brothers had to come to me and like, okay, yeah, that's nice. You're winning arguments, D. But winning arguments, you don't win people in arguments um to the kingdom. You present the gospel. The gospel is not is not an offer, but it, it, it's a command. It's a command to turn away from your sins and, and turn to the Lord Jesus. And that this is what um, Ravi was not um, calling people to do. Um, but his ministry was to debate and give philosophical um, arguments for the uh, for the Christian faith. Now, there, there's sort of two things that come to mind. Um, well, I think one relates to Danfi, and one one relates to what you just said. So. Um, you know, Danfi, you were talking about someone who fell from grace. Would you guys and, and would you guys agree that Mark Driscoll would qualify as someone who's sort of come back from that? Yes. Yes, um, I agree. Yes. And you know what? There's actually people who are upset about that. I, I don't know why. I don't know why people get upset about these kind of things. Like, I yeah. really don't get it. Yeah. Okay, but hold on. Sorry. For, for, for our listeners, for our listeners who don't know who Mark Driscoll is, Mark Driscoll was the pastor at Mars Hill. And I believe it was in Seattle and um, it was a pretty big church. It was doing really well. Um, he, one thing that Mark Driscoll stood out for with his church was that um, he had a large population of men. So, you know, you know, men don't go to church. 
Well, a lot of men went to Mark Driscoll's church um, and, and they outnumbered the women. And so much so uh, the local newspaper would always, would uh, post, said in the newspaper, like if women are looking for men, go to this they need church. To go. Yeah, then you go, <laughs> then you got to go to Mars Hill because that's where all the men are at. Uh, um, but, but basically he, he got, um, he got removed, um, because he was being, um, rough. He was being, um, abusive, uh, uh, to, to his, um, and, and abusive in a verbal sense, right? He was a very, yeah, yeah, and, yeah, and yeah. It, not hitting. Yeah. He wasn't yeah. hitting anybody, but he was being, he was being, um, being rough with, he's yeah, a bully. he was being a bully. And so, but that, but that's great. But I, but I think that's great. And I think that goes back to my point that you can't, you can't. You have to have that accountability. Something as simple as him being rough. Because if you think about it, if Mark Driscoll is conducting himself like that um, as, as the boss of a business or as a head coach somewhere, he's fine. He's fine. But in the body of, but in the body of Christ. Those kind of personalities in the world actually succeed. The Sharks. Yes. Yes, that's right, Danfi. So, so this is the beauty of the body of Christ, that, that these guys can come in and say, hey, hey, hey. Um, yeah, you need to sit down. Um, pastor, um, when I was at a Presbyterian church, um, and, and this is along the lines of ecclesiology, um, when I was at a, when I was, um, attending, um, a Presbyterian church, um, before I got to Jarvis, um, so a Presbyterian church, the, 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 the church, um, the church polity, um, the way how the church is structured is that, um, the elders run the church. So the elders hire the pastor. And so um, I was having dinner with the pastor and he says this to me. He says, yo, Darnell, um, like, and we were talking about church, uh, p- church polity. And he's like, Darnell, I can't even write a check without the elders coming down on me and saying, hey, w- what was this for? He can't even make a purchase without them coming in saying, hey, what was this for? Meaning that um, he's, he's, he's not the king. Even though he's the head guy, he's not the king and he's accountable to people, right? And Ravi was never accountable to anybody. Now, if I'm wrong, if I'm wrong, if anybody listening to this, please, please come and correct me and, and tell me what church you went to and who his pastors were and who he was under. So we can put and them on blast. Attending. <laughs> right, right. No, no, but no, but this is important because, because RZIM, think about it. RZIM could easily say, oh, oh, Ravi, you don't want to listen to us? Okay, cool. We're going to go talk to your pastor, right? Because the idea is this. We don't, we don't choose churches. We submit to churches. When we become members, we submit to a church. We submit to that leadership. And, that and leadership, in my libertarian ways, I want to point out voluntary submission. But anyways, continue. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. But, but Ephesians 4, and people are like, okay, where's Ephesians 4? Ephesians 4 talks about, uh, Ephesians 4, 13, that the, the, the elders, the, the teachers, they are a gift. The Bible says these men, think about it. All you guys who are listening, who attend um, church, think about your elders. Think about your Sunday school teachers. Think about your deacons. These teachers, these people here are a gift given by God for your good, for your maturity, for your correction. That's what they're there for. Church discipline is necessary. It's part of keeping the body healthy. And this is why I think Ravi... Um, fell, but let me ask you guys this: What do you? What do we do with his books? What do we do with his lectures? Because right now people are trying to. Um, well, RZIM deleted his um, his catalog, and they're about to fold. So, what do you guys think about Christian um, cancel culture in that sense? I think with his stuff, you got to bin it, bin it in the garbage. Mm. And the reason why I say that 
like I said earlier, if this man repented, we would be having a different conversation. I would be keeping his books. We got home when my, my wife and I got home after we went on a trip, came back and we got, went to our library, took out his books, threw it in the garbage. Because if, if God blesses us with children, um, and they grow up and they're going through the library and they start reading this book and they're like, man, this is really good stuff. Like, who's this guy? And then they go and do research and find out, oh, this is the guy? It's like, mom, you're like, what's up with this guy? I, we don't have a story. <laughs> no, no, we, we don't have a story to say that, oh, there's a redemption, actually. Oh, son, son or daughter. Actually, no, this is, there's a redemptive aspect to this guy's life. We don't have anything to, hold, to go back on that, right? And, and, and this, is, this is actually should be a greater challenge to us in that if, you, if what we do, if we don't do it for Christ, it could be burnt up overnight like immediately wiped out, you know, and that, and the, the, Paul talks about that in first Corinthians, you know, our, our work would be tested by fire. Do you know what I mean? So for me, I'm, I know this whole cancel culture thing. It's, it's graceless. It doesn't even have room for people to be forgiven or even to ask for forgiveness, but this isn't what we're dealing with, with Ravi. Do you know what I mean? I'm against cancel culture because if cancel culture is something that Christians should even subscribe to, we shouldn't even listen to Peter. The apostle Peter, the man, the man choked hard and he said he wasn't going to. He said, if I'll forsake you, I'll be, and he choked really hard. Do you know? Um, but I think, to be honest, I think Judas Iscariot almost models the situation for me. Because with Judas, nobody talks about him and in the pleasure in like a in like a way that's like commending him. We talk about him as like, yikes, don't be that. And like, I think that's what are you saying that there's a like you're are you talking about him in the sense that he he potentially was repentant? No, 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 no. I'm okay. talking about Judas Iscariot models the Ravi situation in the sense that mm. prior to Judas Iscariot's death or his betrayal, even when Jesus at the at the table, the Last Supper, the disciples were all confused about who he was talking about. I'm like, how did you guys not know? Do you know what I mean? So when Judas fully re revealed himself and went and did what he did, and he repented, and it wasn't like repentance unto life, it was repentance unto death, what did they do? They it replaced him. They replaced him. And he's not known as somebody we should. He's almost like a case study. Like, don't be like Judas. We all have the proclivity to be don't like be that. Don't be like Ravi. So th that's what it, he becomes. He becomes a lesson. Yeah, yeah, don't yeah. Don't be uh, like this. Yeah. But you know what, Danfi? Uh, you know, I paid a lot of money for his books. <laughs> so, <laughs> so, so I'm not, I'm, I'm not going to. Yeah, I'm not going to. I don't him? think I'm going to. Huh? You're not going to bend them? No, I'm not, I'm, I'm not going to bend them. And, and. And the reason why, so besides the money <laughs> that I paid for the books, uh, I, I think the idea you can, um, you can't kill the message, but you can kill the messenger or you can kill the messenger, but you can't kill the message. Um, and uh, like I said earlier in the show, like um, the idea is that the absolute, the idea of absolute truth, objectivity, the laws of logic, which are rooted in the omniscience of God and so forth. These are helpful ideas. Um, and sometimes it's kind of like, it, it, it's good to remember, I guess, in that sense. On the flip side, you know, it's good to 
to to have his stuff there to remember that God uses crooked sticks to draw uh, straight lines. But yeah, but yeah, uh, that that's all I, I was thinking in regards to um, canceling him in that way. But as far as like like church pastors or leaders. Um, that is a thing where people can be disqualified from their office and cannot be restored. And the reason why they cannot be restored, because some people will be like, oh, that's cold. That's cold hearted. Shouldn't everybody get a second chance? Well, the issue is not a second chance. The issue is trust. And well, and I think you use the right word, disqualification, right? Like I get it. I think that's where Mark Driscoll is an example of he didn't get disqualified. He he had to be removed because it was an unhealthy situation. Well, well, he, well, well, no, well, remember again, um, to qualify for, um, a particular office, um, in the church, um, it's not a gifting it's, it's, it's character. So when you look at Paul and, um, when he talks about the qualifications of elder and deacon in Titus and in Timothy, those are character qualities. Those aren't skill sets. And that's what you have to remember. It's your character that qualified you. And even, uh, Mark Driscoll said it best. He said, your wife and your kids will qualify you for ministry, but they'll also disqualify you. Right. right? So, Can I ask you a question, Darnell? Yeah. Yeah. So I agree. Yeah. I think gifting is part of like the qualification. It's not just, it's just not the main thing. But let me ask you this. If, if a pastor fails miserably and he fails his <laughs> congregation um, and he's disqualified and he's removed and there's years of restoration and he moves he moves to a completely different spot, but he's undergone like restoration. He's gone through counseling. All, do you think that pastor has a, a second chance in a different community, in a different context to start again? Hmm, that's a good question. Um, without studying and just shooting off the top of my head, I would say I, I would think so. Because again, I, shoot is the reason why he cannot go, um, go back is because he's betrayed the people's trust. And, and in order for the congregation, the sheep to follow, um, they need someone they can trust. Yeah, I, I, that's what, but I, I could be wrong, but um, that's a good question. I'll definitely look into it. But that's fair, right? Like, and, and Driscoll technically didn't go back to the same church. He sort of started his own. Started another one. Yeah, and I was like, oh, Driscoll's back. Okay, cool. Yeah. So, um, you know, what's funny is like, while the CLS chat was popping off about whether he's saved, um, I had another, you know, sort of accountability group that I'm part of or, or guys that I'm accountable with that we were having a conversation about like, well, what do we do with his books? Right. So the book conversation was sort of being hashed out. And, and I actually thought you have two different questions that you need to wrestle with. One is, what do I do with the book in terms of do I keep it or, or, or throw it away? My answer to that is sort of, if you consider the book to be um, helpful and edifying to you. And when you go back to read it, you're not, your heart's not sort of like bittered or becoming bitter towards the author. Um, then, then keeping it to me seems rational, but the question of should it be on display is a secondary question because I think of like, is it a stumbling block to somebody, you know, sort of similar to, to the way, you know, Danfi described it in a, in a personal family setting, but think about like a new believer who's in your house. Like, you also you also have to think about the victims of Ravi, yep. right? If we're, if they're walking to a Christian store and they see Ravi's books are still being sold, like, what what do we what, what is do they do they take us seriously as a church? You know, like do they take us? Mm -hmm. You know, like I think that's important to also consider, right? Um, and 
I think there's one thing that we, this comes with the hero worship and celebrity type that we get so enamored with somebody that even when we see their flaws, we're like, nah, forget it. That ain't even that real. So why, well, the reason why I bring this up is that Ravi's not the only person we can learn from. Mm-hmm. Christ has given many teachers to the church. Mm-hmm. And the wisdom of Christ cannot be embodied in one person. If you get rid of Ravi's arguments, you're not missing out. Mm-hmm. And probably they're not even his own, right? Because there's Ex- other exactly. people who probably said it. Yeah, good point. Exactly. So I, I think people need to understand that, like, like whatever endearment you have towards his teachings, God is able. This is the question I asked about earlier. Can God live without Ravi? Yes. So why can't you? Mm-hmm. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, good point. Good point. Good point. I guess, you know what? I guess I was thinking about it. Um, and maybe I shouldn't compare the two, but uh, so there's a, a Christian rapper uh, who fell away from the faith, Jahaziel. Um, he fell away from the faith, <laughs> but yeah, I still bump his music, and he has some heartfelt songs that uh, when I listen to it, I'm just like, oh man, brother, you know what um, happened? But but <laughs> yeah, what happened? Yeah, what happened? But um, but yeah, um, Danfi, that that's an excellent point, um, and and because of that, um. I'll think about getting rid of my books. So I want I want to circle back a bit. Um, mm-hmm. We can come back to the book conversation if you guys want. But no, think, no, 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 no. Um, you know, I think, and I don't know if this is a, a Christian hip hop thing or if I I've heard it, you know, elsewhere as well. But like, you see so many Christian rappers that you could almost sort of look at them individually as like parachurch ministries, but they are adamant about being in part of a church, like under elders. And and, mm-hmm. and maybe not all of them. I think specifically, I'm thinking of like KB and and some guys that just talk about you know. And and I'm I'm sort of drawing the parallel to Darnell what you were talking about with Ravi not being, you know, under elders, right? So, but you think about Christian music, you know, in general, whether they're a worship song, rappers, whatever, you know, who are they accountable to? And and they're ministering to the larger body on a grand scheme, and and arguably similar to parachurch ministries, right? Especially when you start to have a level of like persona, you're not like I mean I can think of a parachurch ministry called Bible League, right? They they do a lot, but there's no like person, there's no persona. There, it's it's more about you know the things that they physically do, like in terms of obviously they have a a heart towards Bibles across the world and and translations and stuff like that. So, you know, that's an example where like, okay, I hope all my employees are in a church, but I don't need to worry about this public figure. Um, and that's why I sort of draw a parallel between Ravi and, and Christian music artists. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and I, 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 yeah, that's a good point, Joel. Because again, because, you know, being a Christian rapper or an apologist is not is not an office of the church. And so you can have your ministry outside the church, but you are still part of the laity or part of the body. You know, um, Martin Luther talks about the visible church and the invisible church. The invisible church are those who God knows are his, and that is like the church universal, right? Those we don't know, but everybody's part of the same family. But then there's the visible church, the local church, where um, you're kind of like, okay, well, Shailin has a great ministry, but he attends this church. Timothy Brindle has a great hip-hop ministry but he's part of this church ravi has a great ministry apologist ministry but he's still under um so-and-so a pastor and so that's why um i think it's important that um we have a strong ecclesiology 
ecclesia, which is um, the called out ones, right? And we want to make sure that we honor being part of a church and and, and participating in church membership. I, th- I, th- I think it's essential for even for our, for our, for our own survival. Right. I think it's it's really it's a good point. Um, and the whole accountability aspect, like I think there's a larger conversation to be had for parachurches, period, you know? Um, but I won't, I also won't excuse parachurches not have accountability because there are places in secular, the secular world, like corporate world where there's accountability there. Do you know what I mean? Like there's checks and balances, right? I mean, yeah, you can evade some of those things based on wherever you're sitting and stuff like that. Not saying there's not corruption there, but there is. And one of the most important things about being in a, in a local church is that People don't get impressed with you. <laughs> yo, yo, can I, sorry, can I, can I tell a quick story? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yo, quick story about people not being impressed. So, um, so, um, so I can't remember what, for my four year anniversary, we went to New York and we went to, um, um, Christ crucified church in, um, in Washington Heights, um, in New York. And so, um, Andy Mineo attends there. Andy Mineo t- attends there, right? So, um, so uh, Pastor Rich and I, I don't think Christ Crucified runs anymore. But anyways, um, you know, shout out to um, my homie Brian uh, Perez um, who attended there, a guy that I met there. But anyways, so when I Tyra and I were attending the church there, and we weren't attending because Andy attends there, but we were attending there because um, I made some friends who attend there. And so they said, okay, after church, we're going to have a get together um, um, at, at so-and-so's house. Um, and so we went to the person's house and, um, you know, Andy came by and, you know, Andy came in and, you know, nobody turned, nobody um, paid him any mind. When we were at, in the church, nobody paid him any mind. He just came in, came, you know, he was just doing his thing. We were in the house where everybody was kicking it. Nobody paid him any mind. He was just there. Man, the next week I come back to Canada and it's the Lecrae Andy Minio concert at um, Joel's Old Church. What's it called again? Uh, Church on the Queensway. Yeah, Queensway. Yo, Lecrae and Andy Minio at the Queensway when I came back. Yo, yo, Andy couldn't, yo, the guy couldn't move. The guy was like, was like Prince, was like Michael Jackson. Like the crowd was going crazy. Like he was a, like he's a Superstar. big star. And, I, and the entire kind of like, yo, just last week we were in New York with the man at church and nobody batted an eye at the man. Yeah, but you got to remember his church, he's not a novelty. Yes. Yeah. And, but, but that's my point. And that's your point <laughs> that, that, you know, sometimes we oh forget. God, You're like, oh, yeah, Joel, no, that, Joel, and that's just Joel. <laughs> Is that Joe from the Success? Please people? sign my mic. Please sign my mic. <laughs> like, ah, oh, please. Oh my god. <laughs> sign my Bible. <laughs> sign my book on libertarianism. Man. Like, <laughs> right? But but and I think that's the beauty of it. That's the beauty of it. That that you can, that you have, a pastor and elders. Um, who are not impressed with you. Yeah, I was going to say, you got a community that thinks you're no big deal. Mm-hmm. Like, literally, mm-hmm. you're no big deal. Like, mm-hmm. And actually, uh, to point back to the Christian hip-hop um, situation and, and church discipline, I don't know if you guys remember this, but um, the rapper Ambassador um, and The Truth, um, when they when they um, got into some inf- um, charges of in- adultery and um, 
what ended up happening was um yeah um and an ambassador was attending um epiphany where pastor eric mason pastors so eric mason pastors there and you know eric mason told ambassador to sit down it wouldn't restore him to you know um the ministry team you know and and i still remember ambassador kind of being like you know kind of broken about it and he's like oh man like like he didn't like it he was like come on man like oh you know like i i'd like to return but he he wasn't allowed to return um eventually once he you know him both of them were restored they came back and, and they started doing music and so again that comes back to Dampy's point they can you know they had they had to sit down for a bit um whether they had to sit down in their in their roles in the church because part of and i don't know if anybody realizes this but but serving in the church is a privilege it's not a right it's a privilege it's not a right and the people who are members have a right to serve. If you're not a member of a church, then you shouldn't be allowed to serve. But that's a whole nother conversation. So <laughs> but they were but they were able to, you know, get restored and then get back out there and get back to work. But for a period of time, you know, their their leadership told them to sit down. Yeah, and, and I think that's um at the end of the day, that's sort of, you know, when I look at this scenario with Ravi. Right, the scenario that happened where he had the court case, it got resolved with an NDA, and there wasn't a significant enough investigation to f because the evidence existed then. Right, like it, that court case should have resulted in exposing this problem. And to me, you know, this is sort of demonstrates whether it's an issue with RZIM. I don't know, who knows? Like, you know, I, I don't want to point fingers because I'm not inside on it. But clearly, the fact that he's not accountable to somebody like an eldership that would have said, you know, sat him down and, and, and basically said, you need to sit down. Clearly, whatever happened here, you know, needs to be resolved. And I think anyone stepping into that scenario would have been able to clearly identify, uh, yeah, this woman's actually right. Yeah, I think to be fair to RZIM, they did um they did hire like investigators outside of RZIM to do the final research that was or investigation that was um, the one now. Yeah. This time. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So they did kind of like I guess do a better job the second time around. Yeah. Yeah. And I and I would also add uh you know, when you look for people <laughs> so for people who are you know, who are listening and you know when you think about church and you think about church polity, church politics and the structuring of a church um, and pastors and leadership, the idea is that you want the elders, those who are responsible for, for preaching and teaching, and then the deacons are responsible for um, the serving and the daily tasks of, of the maintenance of the church. And so the idea is that you want to make sure that you don't have yes men. Right. For the elders, you want to make sure that they're not yes men and that they aren't afraid of the pastor or they're not flunkies. Um, and the same thing within your own ministry or within your own business team. Yeah. Yeah. You're going to say something, Joel? Yeah. So, I mean, you know, you t uh, earlier you touched on something that sort of relates to what you just said. Now you talked about that pastor who's like, man, I can't even sign a check without elders breathing down my neck. Mm -hmm. And And there's an aspect where. Right. Like. 
the 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 pastor and what he does should be accountable to the elders. Of course, I, I, by no means am I trying to disparage that. But there's also an aspect where elders sort of um, step outside or overstep their role, right? So, like, think of it in this way: if you set a church budget for, I'll just make up some simple numbers. Let's say it's a hundred thousand dollars for the budget, and and you've approved spending twenty thousand dollars on, let's say, kids ministry. When someone's within that budget, goes and writes a check to do something for five grand, should the pa- should the elder be potentially you know all over the pastor? But he's already approved the budget that the guy's spending within, right? And and I only bring that up because, you know, I do have a little exposure to let's say let's say the uh, church polity, and and actually playing out, and you know with my my job and and whatnot, there is an aspect where. You know, elders don't even necessarily, and this is a, a an education piece a little bit. There's an aspect where elders de- don't have their roles clearly enough defined to realize, you know, yes, you're setting the the environment, but as you sort of laid out, the deacons are the ones who are executing, and you know, you you don't want to sort of like business. Man, you don't micromanaging your your deacon is not going to be a productive thing. And and so it's an you know it's an interesting dilemma because there, and I think it's important to to bring up because we've we've sort of spoken about elders with a high regard, um, but but it's also they're fallen they're going to make mistakes they're going to have errors as well. I think what's what's valuable with the elder role is that no one, not one of them generally has the power, right? They work as a group, and, and elder unity is really important. I mean, I, I know of a church that literally had to get rid of an elder because as a group, there was a lack of unity with one elder, with the remaining group, for an extended period of time. And so it just made operate, you know, making decisions as a group difficult that it, it may, you know, from their position, it made sense to move on from that elder. And I, I just bring that up to say, you know, all the things that we talk about a person being accountable to an elder, yes, the elders can fall, the elders can, but they operate in sort of a group mentality that prevents any one of them from stepping out and, and sort of making, uh, let's say, a collect, an error for that affects such a, a large group. That's a good point. I think the strength of a group is based on the commitment of e- of each individual, to be honest. So by that, I mean like, Mike Wenger actually brings this up in his video, and I thought it was really profound. He said, accountability is good, and we should have it in the church, but accountability doesn't work if the people that want to be held accountable aren't honest. So, for example, if you have a group of guys, and you're meeting about being pure, and then you all sit down every Tuesday, and nobody's honest about what they're going through, and then you you talk and you chat around, and then you leave, and the next Tuesday you come around, is that accountability working? nobody's committed to honesty. Like, so it's no, it's no point of you going there if you're not going to be honest. So in the same way, like an elder doesn't, shouldn't feel like somebody's encroaching on them if they're leave, if they're living an open life. So one of the things that my wife does, and whenever we're going to invite friends over, if it's a guy and she's messaging the guy, she'll put me in the group or she'll tell me, Hey, I texted your friend to, um, we're going to have dinner. I invited them. Is that okay? And And one time I told her, I was like, Hey, you don't have to do that. Like, I, I trust you. She's like, it's not about me doing it because of you. I'm doing it for myself. And that's what I think the attitude has to be with accountability is that 
okay, I'm not just coming to you to tell you about where I'm spending my money because I want to be a good two shoe, but I want to keep myself accountable because I don't know, maybe one day I might be weak. Maybe my bills might be like over my head. I'm like, yo, let me slip this thousand dollars over here. Mm-hmm. Good point. Do you know what I mean? Like you have to be honest with your own nature. Yeah. yeah and and Ravi, you know? and Ravi, sadly, he wasn't. Man, this well, is and that's where the safeguards, right? Like what, what your wife's talking, you know, your wife's sort of saying, like, I it's also right, she's protecting herself from someone else acting a fool, right? By creating that sort of and and, and I mean me and my wife sort of have something similar where it's like I don't have girls that are friends that aren't friends with my wife. You know, and, and, and like, if I'm having conversations with girls that like, whether I used to work with them, it's like, Hey, just so you know, I called, you know, I talked to this girl today, like, you know, be again, sort of the same type of thing. It's like putting those conversations in front of her that if, if there's ever a reason for, she might say, Hey, uh, you've sort of been talking about talking to this girl too much. You should you check yourself, right? Like not to say that anything's happening, but you're, you're, you, you know, just reasons to step in to go, oh, wait a second. I'm not, you know, if your spouse isn't comfortable, well then, okay, check yourself. But two, maybe, maybe you're being deceived as to how comfortable you're getting. <laughs> Danfi, thank you for coming through. How can the people get in thank touch you with guys. you? Um, I'm not on uh, the internet right now. Um, I'm jealous. But, uh, <laughs> you can follow you can follow Immaterial Treasures on Facebook. I think it's immaterialtreasures.com. I'm not sure what it is, but just follow it there. And I'll have it in the show I do notes plan, page, so. Yeah, I do plan on talking a bit further about my own personal story and how um, it fits into all of this. So, um, yeah, no, thank you guys for having me on. I really appreciate it. It was good. Yeah, no, no, we, we appreciated having your two cents, my two cents, and Joel's two cents. Yeah, six cents makes change. But you heard me? Does that make sense?